Dude. But I, re- I just read it, but... Dude. <clears throat> you know what? I was looking at in the Bible yesterday. Hmm. Two things. Number one, the Bible doesn't say that Jesus sweat blood. Really? It's he says he it it says that he sweat like droplets of blood. Yeah. Like. Like. Yeah. So he sweat like it was blood. Uh-huh. And also, which I'm sure you already know this, but um, the Bible I'm doesn't keep talking. My the Bible doesn't ever say that Satan was the head worship leader of heaven. Yeah, where 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 does that come from? I've I've heard that on multiple occasions. It's not true. Well, he was a cherub. He was here's what the Bible says that he was a guardian cherub. Okay, cherubs worship God, but he wasn't like a special worship angel. He wasn't the like, hey, I'm, no, my title is intern. No. You know, Satan's was angel of worship. No, no, not, not it. He was just a regular guardian cherub. So I think he was even like, whatever, just silly. Like, How did you get into this? You're just reading and figured it out, or you like searching? So I was it just out? thinking about like me and my friend were talking about stuff that we're taught that just like, <clears throat> and I remembered on two occasions looking at both of those things, but I didn't remember if what I concluded on them, but I went back and, and there is no version that you read that you would come to the conclusion that Jesus sweat actual blood. So I, and this is something I, I am not like rock hard on either, like locked in on yeah, yeah, yeah. certain thing. The porch, you remember the porch? You've watched a couple of videos, right? Oh yeah. The porch guy actually is the one, and I and I said this like early in my walk, like you know when you watch a cool video, the porch mm-hmm. makes all these connections, like you know Abraham mm-hmm. when he was going to mm-hmm. sacrifice Isaac, um, yep. he saw the ram in the thicket. You know the porch guy really makes those broad cool connections a lot, but he was the one who said uh, that. In World War Two, there were soldiers who, when they were so scared, would sweat. It's like a condition. It's no, it happens. Saw that video. No, that's yeah. a it's a real which, thing. Which yeah, and, but if you look at the text, I, I don't think. I think if someone says it, it's like you you can't it's look not, at the text it's not and a say big deal. he he de- he sweats droplets of blood, etc. But because it, it does say like like an analogy, right? Yeah. So it so. says. So ESV says. And being in agony, he prayed more earnestly, and his sweat became like great drops of blood falling down to the ground. Mm-hmm. And Which I my be, initial reaction would be a simile. Yeah, yeah. My natural reaction says that his sweat became like blood, like blood. I mean, yeah. dropping. <laughs> yeah. Know? But it's not big stuff. It's just like, you know... I mean, it's usually, you can go, I mean, you can go too far with it, but there, you know, it's good to, you know, there's some stuff like that we just that everyone teaches, and it's no question. It's like I don't see that. Well, like the porch guy, and barring one day, barring one day, we ever get big enough to where the porch guy sees this video, his stuff, love his stuff, right? Oh, his he said amazing. in one of his his stuff's amazing. But in one of his in one of his videos, he said that where. The ram in the thicket in Genesis, when Abraham's trying to sacrifice his son, the exact same spot was where Jesus mm-hmm. was crucified. And I took that and ran with it. I was like, bro, did you know this? Did you know the exact same spot as Abraham was going to? And it was not the exact same spot. It was like the definition is it was a stone's throw away. So like you could throw a stone and that's how close it was to where Abraham is. 2,000 years later. Uh, that's pretty. I mean, I mean, you can get cool. away with you can get away with saying it, but that's another circumstance. Talking about, it's yeah. not the same exact spot. Yeah, but, but it's, it's close on the same mount or whatever. 
Yeah. You can it's, get away with it. Yeah, yeah. It's close enough that it has of significance. Yeah. No, exactly. I there's so many things that when I was first like on the porch and stuff, I watched the porch. I th- did I show you the porch? Yeah, you sent me the uh partying video. Yeah. I sent that to everybody. <laughs> I shared that thing like crazy. And like man, there yeah, there's definitely things like man, especially like early in your walk and stuff, like you're just gonna take it and run, like no need for but Yeah, they preach That's all part it of super, it. I wanna call it superficial, but it's a lot of a lot of analogies, a lot of like like my little sister and my parents went during Corona. Corona. I can't believe I just said Corona. Um, we used to watch the porch, and they used to love it because it's like simple, and easy to understand. The mm. analogies aren't too much. The porch is good. So, oh, yeah, I love it. I yeah. love it. The porch is good. But, bro, I'm going to read this. I mean, this is different than what I was going to show you earlier, but verse, I mean, it's talking about like Satan and stuff. It says... It is ever the Holy Spirit's work to turn our eyes away from self to Jesus. But mm. Satan's work is just the opposite of this. For he is constantly trying to make us regard ourselves instead of Christ. We shall never find happiness by looking at our prayers, our doings, our feelings. It is what Jesus is, not what we are. It is what Jesus is, not what we are, that gives rest to our soul. If we would at once overcome Satan and have peace with God, it must be by looking unto Jesus. So it's crazy. It's like the Holy Spirit's job, only job is to look away from yourself, to get you to look your eye away from your feelings, your doings, your feelings. Mm. But Satan's only goal is to get you to look at yourself. It's kind of crazy when you break it down like that. I thought that was crazy. It is. It is. Yeah, man. You know, I've been on that pride train no more pride and um man it is connected to everything anytime i think i'm i'm doing good with pride that means i'm probably being prideful anytime i'm struggling the most with it is probably when i'm at my best wow you just spit my mind in a pretzel bro it's like when you're at your best probably when you're struggling with it and when you're struggling with it it's probably when mm-hmm. you're at your best just like That's what crazy. francis chan said you know he said you know the people that really need to hear this message aren't going to get it um about the pride you know but the ones yeah. that the ones that understand this message are the ones that aren't prideful so yeah the ones who are like i don't need are going to receive are the it. ones who need it yeah but the ones that know they need it are the ones that are actually the ones growing so and and sin is just out of the love of self, and that's I mean that's what pride is. It's puffing up yourself, you know. I mean, you Low can fish. you could you would have a hard time lusting after women if you were selfless. I you know? I read something, and I think it was John MacArthur. I don't watch him very often, but somehow yeah. I stumbled across this video. He said, "You look at covet, the Ten Commandments: you shall not covet causes everything. You shall not commit adultery." Okay, you have something. What is the definition of covetousness? You desire something you don't have. Adultery. You desire a woman that you don't have. Murder. He. You desire. He. That is good. He. He. I mean, covetousness causes you shall not have no other gods before me. That the god you already have isn't enough for you, so you covet. And, and covetousness causes every sin. Which what is the root of covetousness? Self idolatry. Mm-hmm. Worship of self. Mm-hmm. Which is mm. the root of all sin. Or what we said yesterday, uh, last episode, the root of all evil is the love of money, but the root of all sin is that you love yourself, mm-hmm. which is crazy to think about. Oh, yeah. That, and that was the original seed planted by the devil. Like, if you think about, I mean, that's what he did. He said, I'm I'm God. I'm better than God. You know, like mm-hmm. pride entered in and that's where, I mean... That's where sin became a thing, but I guess. No, yeah. In this book, I don't have enough time to go find it, but in the book, it said like, and it, it is, it's funny. I was thinking about this the other day. You look at sin, how, how 
human nature of it is it, hey, Brayden, do not turn around. Do not turn around and look at the long corn sign behind you. Mm-hmm. What do you want to do? You want to look. I would turn around and look at the long corn sign. Anytime the government says, hey, you cannot go outside and use your free speech, what are you going to do? You're going to go outside and use your free Anytime someone places restraints, replaces a set of rules or something against you, it makes you want to do the opposite. It's just mm-hmm. human nature. Yeah. So how much more – and I, that's something I've seen in my walk. Oh, my gosh. Like when I look at sin, like God's like, oh, I have to do this. Like God, these are the rules God set in place. That makes me fall into sin even worse because – Yeah, Romans 7. Yeah. It, it And instead it's like when you, it's like sin – like you love God so much that you hate what he hates and you just don't want to break his heart. All of a sudden it's not these rules like this far off God, this yeah, it's grace. ruler. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yeah. Step one is seeing your sin and that's where sin becomes alive. And now it's, you know, it becomes more of a, I think it's a stronger pool because it's something you're set not to do, you're not supposed to do, but and that's under the law. And then grace is what the law needed the whole time so that we can continue without being worried about what laws we break. We can continue mm-hmm. with Christ and obviously repenting of every sin, but you know, after that, completely free and guiltless of all of that, you know. Uh you look at the Reformation, right, breaking away from the Catholic Church, the biggest thing that they were saying is like, because John Calvin, Martin Luther, they were talking, they're like, we're saved by grace alone. And the, the Catholic Church's biggest argument was, if we're saved by grace alone, then the the Romans 6, you know, grace shall grace be abound and shall we keep on sinning? Oh, my gosh. Romans 6 says, shall, shall grace, grace abound. Keep, abound, keep abounding so that we continue in sin, right? So we're basically we're saved so I can do whatever I want that idea which the reformers basically you know combated that was saying you know salvation is through faith and then and this is my my basic argument against any sort of like workspace requirement as soon as you put more emphasis on something required of you exactly like the sin idea you would think in the catholic church when they say you have to do this that it would make it more important, but it actually makes it more stressful to do. Because if you don't do it, oh my gosh, my salvation, I don't know, I'm going to lose it. And it's oh, yeah. less work, less uh, less awe and wonder at the cross and Jesus, what he did, versus you're saved by grace. No one who believes you're saved by grace is like, oh, I'm good. I'm going to just go get drunk all the time, right? Mm-hmm. No, you you pursue just like love. I it. It's really simple. When you love somebody, you want to honor them, glorify them, you yeah. want to respect them. Absolutely. I mean, and I think that people don't understand, like, that's an everyday experience. Like, being, God expresses his grace to me every day, you know. I, it's not like, <clears throat> um, I feel less accepted anytime I sin. It's like, if I feel less accepted, it's my mind answering for in God's place mm-hmm. instead of him answering like which it's crazy when we sin that we're like oh I gotta fix myself up before I go yeah. back to Christ instead of like when you sin immediately you know because we it, it's in, a huge, you know your intimacy with God shouldn't change depending upon how bad you're doing like how bad mm-hmm. your day is like that's it's not about that you know yeah, I think that's hard for us. Definitely is, and especially you. You said something a while back. I don't know if you said it on a podcast or you said it just to me, but we need to stop looking at specifically sexual sin with such fear, mm-hmm. like "Oh my god, sexual sin so bad," versus pride. Yeah. Oh, it's not that bad. We need to like have a distaste for all sin equally. But like, how much you know? You speak from my. I'll speak from my own experience. You know, you have sexual sin. You fall in sexual sin. All of a sudden. Mm-hmm. Your intimacy You're with God just, changes. You, yeah, but all of a sudden on Primeful, I was mad at my mom. God, you're good. You know, my I have a uh, yeah. godly sorrow over that sin, but my f- 
my faith with God doesn't change. All of a sudden, you you have a instance where you struggle with sexual sin. You're like, my, I gotta rethink. I gotta. Like, fix am I it. saved? Am I? <laughs> yeah. It, does the blood still cover me? You know. But why why is that? It's we just look at certain sins worse than others. Yeah. Or with more fear. So. Yeah. No, I know. I know. I hate that too. <sighs> I hate it. It's Which, really hard. I mean, I say that while I still struggle with that same thing, you know. Oh yeah. Like I like you, it, it, everyone struggles with I mean you look at murder, it'd be naive to say and we've talked about this that murder isn't worse than pride in a worldly standpoint, right? But we're all broken, but it's hard not to you know that and, and that's what sin is. Sin wants to knock you off the path of righteousness and keep you in the dark darkness longer than you want to be there. I got that from mm-hmm. JP Okluda, right? That's the dude from the yeah, porch that you see the part Okluda. Yeah, I don't. I don't. I just call him JP. Is that his name's Jonathan? I didn't even know that. Jonathan Pakluda is his real name. Oh, okay. Has, but they call him JP. JP, yo JP. Um. Anyways, he says, you know, sin wants to knock you off that path of righteousness into the darkness and keep you in that darkness longer than you yeah. want to be there. Yeah, you're not like. I've been thinking about how the fact that we are not bound by anything, but the way that we change our th- our thinking due to the mistakes we make. That's what bounds us. Our sin doesn't bound us anymore, but it's how we think right now that can bound us to the m- mistakes we've made. So if we change the way we view God through our experience of our own mistakes, then you're going to look at God as a lot less because you made mistakes. And you're not doing God any favors by punishing yourself. No. Like oh like I'm 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 a bad person. Poor me. Poor me. And, and sometimes it doesn't look like that. Sometimes you're genuinely sad. Like you're like oh my gosh, right? But you're not doing anybody. You're not doing yourself any favors. You're not doing God any justice. You're discounting him by doing that. You're not doing anybody any favors by being, you know, all sad all the time. You're actually supposed to run to the Father when you're when you're uh, battling time with sin, need. struggling with sin. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, but so. Brayden, I mean, we we we've been talking for a little while now. So, welcome to the Kingdom Vision Podcast. If we didn't say it already, um, today we're kind of talking about making disciples. Even though we're just kind of we're just kind of chopping it up, but Brayden, I wanna I want you to talk to me a little bit about your experience at House of Faith, which that's been like. Mm. Where the topic is making disciples, which is if you're a Christian, it should be a a part of your walk in some degree. That not mean you have to be, you yeah. know, running a church or being a pastor or, you know, it should be a part of your walk. So, Brayden, talk to me about your experience at House of Faith and stuff like yeah. that. Yeah. So, I'll say this thing first, and it's that, um, who's the, what's the guy's name that was teaching at, um, in College Station that was teaching us? Adam? Adam. Yeah, so, and he said this. He said that if you're having a Bible study and you get to a group together that you are, quote-unquote, discipling, and the goal isn't to further disciple others, then you're you're fellowshipping for knowledge, and it's like that is self-seeking and prideful. If you get together for knowledge and knowledge only and not knowledge to help spread the kingdom, grow the kingdom, um, you're missing the whole point. You know, you're being, you you know, you're missing the the real knowledge. The real wisdom is to be selfless and disciple others. Um, So I've definitely um, that when he said that it I took that and ran with it like that. That changed the way I was viewing things big time. And, um, what are you saying? And that, that's something I've been struggling with. You know, I'm doing an internship right now with, uh, Matt Kelly. I've seen him on a couple of episodes, but we've been reading books. He's like been pouring into me, reading mm-hmm. books, even before that on my own, pursuing these answers, you know, studying Mormonism because I'm going to Utah to spread the gospel. All these big study, 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 right? Mm-hmm. It's very easy to lose that simple faith of just like, 
fellowshipping with mm-hmm. the Father. And I talked to the uh, men's associate at Central. He called me the other day about some stuff, and he said that you know he's doing his uh, he's what what is the master of divinity? Master of divinity, right? That's what it's called when you want to be a, a pastor. Master of divinity, I think that's what it's called. He's doing that, and he said that hey, that's something he's struggled with is when you're stuck. It's not a bad thing to pursue knowledge, but it's a bad thing. The, the goal of pursuing knowledge, studying, doing these degrees, right? I mean, PhDs in, in biblical studies is when that is supposed to further your awe and your wonder and your fear and your reverence for God. Mm-hmm. You don't want to just pursue knowledge to have knowledge. You pursue that knowledge to aid your walk with Christ. It has to be meaningful, right? Yep. And on top of that, I say I was, I've been struggling with like, separating me studying because that's basically what it is you're studying the word you're studying these theological things amen is taking in this this is what the men's associate told me his name's justin he said he takes intentional time just to have fellowship and uh just just rest in the word of god without having to look for an answer without looking to study for stuff not like Oh yeah, I'm studying this idea about Mormonism, or just like just reading yeah. the word and spending time with God, taking intentional time to do that. And mm-hmm. I was like, such a simple answer, but that's a huge deal. No, it's extremely important, and I think, I think the point is too that don't look over the people you already are in touch with on an everyday basis. You know, you get food from a grocery store, you stop and you get gas, you stop and you have to do these things, right? So don't make like spreading God's word, spreading the love of Jesus to others, this whole thing where it needs to be a set time from this time to this time. Just be like that. Just be that person Mm -hmm. that is in a constant state of that, you know, and a constant state of looking for someone that you could help, someone that you could pray for, someone that you could tend to. And I, that's what I love about working at House of Faith is that we get these huge groups of people together. Or I say we. Those huge groups of, get, of people get together. And I get to be there. And my heart is for evangelism and, and loving on people, caring for people, and um, just kind of listening to them, listening to what they need prayer for, listening to, to things that they're dealing with. And I get the time to just... And they they really allow me the time, and, and even though there's so many things to do, other will, people will be working, and they'll allow me to go and evangelize to these people and talk to these people, and I get to just tend to them and care for them, and that's my heart. You know, that's my desire is for other people, and um, yeah, anything you would like to point out from that? No, I was just kind of thinking what intentional discipleship. We're talking about making disciples, like yeah. what it is. I've had the opportunity to disciple a lot of people. I guess, I mean, Tanner Davey, baby. Shout you out, Tanner Davey. He's one of my best friends from, um, he goes to Stephen F. Austin. Um, I would consider that discipleship. You know, we have intimate conversations, yeah. Bible studies. You know, he opens up to me. I open up to him, right? You know, what are we struggling with? What are we what are we excited about, right? All these things. Um, just I think what is discipleship? It's, it's intimate pouring into people, right? Mm-hmm. Intimate car intimate caring, yeah. intimate just intimacy with that and you say intimacy like it's you know, love, right? I mean that word's commonly used for that, but it's like intimate friendship and pouring into people the word of God. And genuinely caring, a selfless caring, you're not I mean, this should, should be an easy answer. You're not pouring into people so you look good, right? Or, you know, want people to think you're smart. Or, well, you know, it's, it's never that. And that should never yeah. even be a thought. But, mm-hmm. um, yeah, I wanna, a selfless love. Mm-hmm. I want to read this verse. It says in Romans 9, 3, For I wish, for I could wish my, that I myself were cursed and cut off from Christ for the sake of my brothers, my kinsmen according to the flesh. <laughs> So he is at a, a self. This is Paul talking. He's at a selfish point enough in his life that he's saying it would be more worth it for me to be cut off from my own salvation than to, for my brothers to 
continue on what they're doing or, you know, for mm-hmm. them to be saved in, in root of me, like, I mean, or, or in lieu of me, I'm sorry. And dude, all these big words lately, bro. I know. I know that's so important though. And I've gotten the opportunity to disciple my younger brother a lot. And, um, which a lot of that, a lot of that looks different than your everyday, I would say evangelism for me. I look at discipling a lot more as like you disciple one person or a group of people more than you would other people. You know, you have a group that you're pouring into that they come to you with things. And I would just say that's really important for a starting out believer or any believer. I have people that disciple to me and I disciple to others. And it should be a constant state of that and a constant flow of that. And I hope Wyatt is discipling others and whoever he's discipling is discipling. So, Bro, I'm drinking this like new energy drink. Ooh, I heard they're I, clean. You've seen it before? Mm-hmm. They taste good, but like when I'm sitting here trying to talk, it's like burning my throat. Oh, really? It's very like, it's probably just because it's cold because I drank the last one yesterday when it was hot, but dude, it's like burning my throat. Really? Yeah, but uh, you're talking about different types of discipleship between like Wyatt and other people. Yeah. Like, when, you're do- when you're discipling people that you're not really like, they're not family or close friends. You're going to talk about Jesus like you may get three or four meetings yeah, every six months or yeah. maybe not. Maybe the it, it varies, right? Mm-hmm. But like when you're doing family, a lot of times discipleship isn't always doing Bible studies, right? Mm-hmm. You got to be – you got to learn how to navigate the waters of when God is opening doors for you to speak into their lives. Yeah. Right? Because imagine, imagine me just going up to – if me and you were brothers, Brayden – I'm not even use that example because that was stupid. But if I'm going up to my little sister every time, every single day, let's do a Bible study, let's do a Bible study, let's try, try to talk about, you know, it's going to like, it's just not appropriate. It's not, it's not, God's not opening those doors. So sometimes it's just you being there, especially with family members, friends, just being friend, just being loving. God will open doors for you to, you know, do Bible study, speak truth into their lives. But it's not always no. you just doing exactly right people all the time. yeah and i'd like to illustrate so yesterday i was hanging out with uh wyatt's friend and wyatt and uh i got pretty mad at him and uh not at wyatt i got mad at his friend and um or Wyatt's my brother i don't know if i said that did i say that no yeah, anyway Wyatt's my brother <laughs> and i was with his friend i got mad at his friend and we wrestled and stuff and at first it was fine but I got mad and pretty rough with him. I didn't hurt him or anything, but, um, and after I went and talked with his friend and I was just like, we, like, I was just saying like, I'm sorry. I shouldn't, I should have, uh, been easy with you and I shouldn't have, you know, done that. And I explained like, we we're like, we're going to use this as God and we're going to grow from this. And I explained to Wyatt the same thing. Um, so I would say that's important in your intimate disciple discipleship with your family and really close people that you make yourself an example, um, whenever you make mistakes so that you can really disciple people, because that's probably the best discipling you can do is whenever what you look like when you make mistakes. Um, and it's not about being perfect, but being open about the mistakes you make and being so that you can, you know, do better in the future. That's even the problem with pastors is a lot of times people, the congregation, look at pastors on a pedestal like they're more righteous than us. But they're still people. Pastors are still people. They still struggle with things, right? But you don't see pastors getting up there saying, you know, I struggle with lust today. Or I struggled with, you know, they don't, I mean, they sometimes they open up, but, and, and it's a sad thing that pastors can't open up more about their struggles, but. They are there to lead. They're not there to make the congregation doubt their authority to speak and stuff. But mm-hmm. a lot of times we put pastors on a pedestal, but there are people too. And it's the same thing with, you know, people view me and you, Brayden, pretty like righteous people, even though that's not right. We're just normal Christians. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, you're a house of faith. I'm entering at a church. We're doing a podcast. Oh, they're righteous. They're right. They're super Christian, right? So people already put us on a pedestal. 
but we had to make it like you just said very very clear that we're not perfect we still struggle and the reason that is important because you're how many times do people get a bad rap of christianity particularly non-christians based off the actions of a christian right 99 times out of 100 god yeah (laughs) actually 100 times out of 100 my fault but exactly but god (laughs) god has never it's so sad because god has never um i would say that no one has ever lived with god and been like that was a complete waste of time like uh i think it was jp on on the porch he was saying like i've never met a christian that he was like man i just wish i would have done a little more drugs before i turned to god i wish i would just done a little more of this before I turn to God. And that's, you know, it's so accurate that God, the, the, what you have with God, uh, it's so much better than what people can portray him as, you know, and, and do our, we do our best. We do really, we really do, but you have to, I'd say that's where humility is so important in stating that so that you get, you convey it out to people that you are not God. They need to experience God. They need to get in the word with God. They need to do these things with God. Um, because we are completely insufficient to for the needs that you have that only God can give you. I have a question I want you to... What, what happens when you're trying to disciple somebody? I mean, you have lots of conversations with kids at camp and stuff that clearly are not responding to the gospel, clearly are not registering, they, they, they don't understand the gospel. How do you respond to that? I wouldn't say rejection, but how do you respond to like conversations like that that don't go as planned? Like, what is I would say, I would say that, so in the back of my mind, I'm thinking, okay, there have been multiple times where I witnessed to someone it looked like it went nowhere and three months later they come back and they're like, hey, what you said helped to change my life. Mm. And I have that perspective all the time that I don't know what this person's dealing with right now. There's times where I'm not respect receptive to what God is trying to get me to do because I'm in a struggling point. I'm struggling right now. I'm dealing with this. He doesn't understand what I'm dealing with. Uh, like, Cole, you don't understand what I'm dealing with. Like, I've been in those places, so I understand. Um, I understand that there's going to be times where you're less receptive, and I would say it's vitally important to not get frustrated discipling people because they're humans. You know, they're, mm. they're the same as you. You make mistakes. That's why it's important to be open about them. But whenever you disciple, like, don't do it like in such a way that the the love is gone from it. You lose the love out of it. Do it in such a way where there's equal amount, where you realize the point, the truth, and love. God is truth and love. You have to offer both at the same time. And that's a hard balance, but most of the time we know when. We know when, naturally, when people are less receptive and we just decide to push it in or we try, we decide this, mm-hmm. we decide that. And But God doesn't, God doesn't need us to be the lifesavers all the time. You know, he doesn't always need that. Maybe God's plan is that we don't do get anything done. We just tell them the message, and then later someone else helps them, and they're like, "Remember that they remember that one time where you know you preached to them or stuff like that." You know, you can't ever look at a time that you spend with a person witnessing to them as a waste of time. And I think that's extremely important that that we acknowledge that. Even in the time that you give to people who completely aren't receptive, you are also growing as well. You are also learning as well. You are also getting to be a part of, you know, your your walk with Christ isn't finished. So in those times, that le- the least you're going to get is you're learning more about how to witness to people. That's mm-hmm. what I would say. Yeah, and to go off of that, I would say for me, it's like, who am I serving? Am I serving myself or am I serving God? God doesn't need us to save people. But what's interesting is he He has chosen to pair with us in spreading the gospel, right? Yeah. It's, it's you know how we are called to go evangelize. We are called to proclaim his name to the ends of the nation. He doesn't need us, but he has chosen to pair with us. So it's interesting, but 
in terms of like conversations not going well, it's like, who am I serving? Am I serving my name or his name? Because ultimately me being rude, me being, if a conversation is not going well, me being overly, I was about to say oppressive, but abusive with my words, uh, what's the word oppressive, not oppressive, but, uh, just overdoing it. Right. Am I appealing? Am I being faithful to God or am I trying to like get my point? Like you said, pride puffs up. Am I, do I just want to be right? Mm-hmm. Um, cause a lot of times, like you said, Brayden, a lot of times there can, there's two ways it can go. You speak faithfully into someone's word, into someone's life. They clearly are rejecting of it. Then three months later, they hit you up and say, man, like, dude, like what you said really impacted me or you don't do it right. You speak, you know, kind of rudely, you know, should have let it go, but you're trying to be right. And then three months later, you don't like you close a door through your unable to like be rejected basically. Cause I've had that where I've closed doors by being, you know, not evangelizing the right way. Um, so now when I, when I evangelize, I still get in conversations where like my, you know, my blood pressure starts pumping a little bit, you know, they're pushing buttons. They're like, you know, cause a lot of times people are aggressive back to us. Like they're hard. They, they like to push buttons to get us to react a certain way. They, they, they like to argue. They like to, I've, that's what I, one thing I've learned a lot about people is people don't, aren't really interested in Jesus. They just like to argue about Jesus. They like to argue. So for me, when those conversations happen, it takes a lot of like willpower for me to like, okay, like me getting mad here, me appealing this, me just arguing with them. It's not going to draw them closer to Jesus. It's not going to point them closer to Jesus. If anything, it's going to push them farther away. Um, so the basis of it is, and when you're being faithful to the Lord, do you think arguing and conversations not going your way and you being super pushy is that's if that's even ser- serving your name? I mean, I'm sorry if that's serving the Lord's purpose or your purpose. So, but I don't Amen. know if what you think about that. No, I I agree a thousand percent, and I would say that you know there I think. It's not that hard to recognize when when we ourselves enter the conversation if if you understand what I'm saying like when our you know our ways enter a conversation and we can see when a conversation when someone's not going to be Hey, what did you think about that conversation we had on the Riverwalk, me and you with that guy playing the right. violin? Right. And so we, you know, we so we spoke to this man, me and Cole did and uh you know, we told him the truth of the gospel, I would, or, you know, we, 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 we pr- spread that good word. Yeah. And, uh, overall you could kind of, we could both tell like, oh, he's, um, you know, he's kind of trying to veer from this. He's not trying to disagree and he's not trying to agree. He's just like wanting to, you know, he's just not, he's just not receptive at that time. He had his own perspective. Yes. His, you know, like I'm right here with it. I have my relationship. So yeah. I'm going to take what you're saying. Yeah, but I'm still, you know, not really interested in what we're having to say while agreeing at the same time, if that even makes sense. Yeah. And I would say that in that time, you know, we did a good job of understanding what, you know, where he's coming from and those type of things. And um, because the truth is that people, a lot of times they base, you know, you base God off of your experiences. And, you know, if someone, you know, I mean, any which way you can do that, you can just base God off of your own experiences. And, you know, you have to be understanding of other people. And if they're not receptive, then you can't, you know, you you can't just act like they're worse or they're lesser thinkers or they're less knowledgeable or they're less this because they don't believe in God. That's not the truth. That's not the truth at all. Um, in fact, if you think that you're better because you believe in God, then you pro- you probably are viewing God in the incorrect way. You know, um, we are saved completely by Christ coming to us, meeting it us where we were at. It took his supernatural work for us to believe in him. So why would we judge people for not believing in him? Exactly. So um, I would say that's vitally important. Don't look at other people as less because they don't believe in God. 
Um, and I think that's what we often do. Like, because we know how awesome God is. We, you know, we get to experience, we get to be with them every day. You know, God's awesome. Um, but whenever you're witnessing to someone, understand what they're saying, see what they're saying, you know, understand that. And also pro- proclaim the truth at the same time and show love to them. You know, you can show love to them even after they disagree. You know, you can, there's many ways that you can show care for them after you, after they disagree. Um, so I, think it's I just say that's important to, I think it's important to challenge people, which yeah. you can challenge people while being loving at the same time, but put them, ask them questions, challenge their thinking. Hey, what do you believe saves you? Do you believe work saves you? Whatever. Ask them challenging questions. And I think that's what we did with the guy on the river walk when we, me and Brain were evangelizing. Mm-hmm. We were asking him questions that were hard because we are called to to proclaim the message. And if if imagine if me and Brain are evangelizing this guy and we just kind of, hey, there's a time and a place, you know, man, God is love. Like Jesus is good, right? Yeah. But we have to... Mm-hmm. We have to direct that guy was already I'll give you a little context. That guy thought he believed in Jesus. He thought he you know was part Catholic, you know, grew up in different denominations, but also said his friend who was an atheist was going to heaven. Wow, that's that's concerning, right? He his theology, I mean, what he believed about God was way off. So me sitting there saying, "Man, I do you love God?" He would say yes. So we need to ask critically thinking questions to him without being like overly rude about it so what we asked him is like how do you believe you're saved and you know he gave us these answers like he believes he was a good person okay well how do we so now that he tells us that we got to tell him okay well that's wrong without being rude yeah but the bible says this right then we ask him you know so do you think your islam friend well basically you know i would like to say I think it's important to state this, that when we're saying this, we're saying compared to God, we're, we're always going to compare to God compared to us. This man's no different than us, you know, but compared to God, he's not good. You know, he's un, he's completely unworthy. So I, I would just say I, that, like, I think understand, it's important. Yeah. understanding this person's not worse than you. He's just worse than God, you know, and conveying that saying, hey, I, I do this. I do make these mistakes. You do as well. That makes us worse than God. Yeah, when you... That's the hardest thing for this man in particular, but for every human being on the planet to understand that they are a bad person. Something they... No one wants to admit because we all love ourselves. We all want to think highly of ourselves. So this man thought he could get to heaven by being a good person, right? And then he, you know, he mentions things like, his Islamic friend, or was it Islam? Uh, atheist. Friend? Atheist. Atheist friend. He he thought he was in heaven. He'll see him again, right? Me, imagine if I sat there, Brayden, and this is all I talk about making disciples, right? Because it starts with evangelism, then hopefully you want to meet up with people afterwards. But, Brayden, what if I sit there, you idiot. You think your atheist friend is going to heaven? You idiot. You're stupid, right? But... I also got to tell this man, this, this man, I, we're, we haven't seen him again. That was, how many months ago was that brain that we talked to this man? Months. Uh, months, so, yeah. A couple months. months. And we've never seen him again. So I have to understand that I'm never going to see this man again. 99.9% chance. So I got to tell this man, like he could die tomorrow. I could, he could die before I ever see him again. I got to tell this man the truth. So obviously I'm not going to say you're an idiot for believing that. I'm not going to say you're stupid, but I'm going to say, Man, I, I don't I don't agree with that. I don't believe that. But because this is what the Bible says. The Bible says that you have to have faith in Jesus. And what is faith? Faith is being I just learned this the other day and I mean I knew this, but like what's the definition of faith? Being fully convinced. Like you are fully convinced of something. That's what Romans four says that Abraham Abraham's faith was counted as righteousness when he was fully convinced of God's promises. Mm-hmm. That he had made and that he was fully convinced that he would fulfill them, right? Yep. So that is, we have to have faith in the work of Jesus on the cross, that he died, resurrected, took the punishment for our sins, and that's our only way to heaven. That's Mm -hmm. the only key to heaven. Mm -hmm. If you believe you're saved by 0.01% of your works, this is what Paul Washer says, he says if he believes he's saved by 0.01% of his works, he only deserves hell. 
I mean, that's I mean, that's his way of describing it. But we have to illustrate to this man in the most loving way possible, however that may look, that you have a skewed view of God, right? That would probably be a rude way to say it, but you are not viewing God the way the Bible says God yeah. is. Yeah, you and I think I believe that. what we said was like, hey, you know, we explained that, look, like, and I said, look, I, I'm like, I'm sorry about your friend. Like, I'm genuinely sorry. That's hard to go through, you know, and um, I know Christians <laughs> that they're people that they were close <laughs> to and family and stuff that were atheists or, you know, other things they like they had struggled mightily with having faith in God after they lost people because, because, because it, hell you, is so bad. Yeah. You're condemning your family and your friends. Exactly. And so it's like, that's an, you have to have the understanding like, Hey, he's still, he's, he, he only has a human mind, you know, that only sees, um, these things and that his friend was, you know, they had laughs and stuff like that. And, that is so hard, but you have to convey that, hey, you know, because you can't let someone else's loss, his loss, cause him to lose, forfeit his own soul. You have to be like, hey, man, that's not what saves you, man. If you're a good person, that's not, you know, that's not. And we didn't, I don't, we didn't just straight up say, hey, your friend's in hell. He's burning. You know, it's like, you don't. That's not what he needs no, to hear there. You don't need to, you don't need to, to rub it in his face and stuff like that. He's like. I could see where that's hard. I understand that, but we have to understand that that's not what we're saved by. We're not saved by if we're a good person, quote unquote. You know, no one's good except for God. Those type of things. And um, so, yeah, I don't know. I thought that was a, a great illustration, like because, um, you know, that guy he was wanting to dance a little bit, but you have to nail him down in truth. And then whenever he, I think like it's a good illustration because. Whenever he brought up the fact that his friend died, then you can offer grace and be like, look, I'm sorry about your friend. You know, I really am. Like, that's really hard, you know. And the reason we said this, sorry, like, were you going to Go say ahead. something else? Go ahead. Okay, we were, the why we got on that topic is you have to ask thought-provoking questions because I don't know if how you thought, we didn't really talk about it after that much, but he started off, I thought he was a believer at first. Like, he I said did. the right answers. He's like, yeah, the gospel... He died for me. He he was saying the right answers, and then we we start inquiring more, asking more thought provoking questions, and then he said something about his atheist friend who he thought was in heaven, even though he's an atheist. And then I was like, "Whoa, that's a red flag!" And then he said some more things that were questionable. I'm like, "Oh, this guy doesn't know." So that's why it's so important that you ask these tough questions and you like inquire, not for the thought of like you're ch- like you. Actively challenge this man lovingly because you want to know if he knows. Mm-hmm. Um, but that was specifically what I thought because at first I thought he was a believer. Yeah, I until did we asked the thought-provoking questions. I don't know if it was you or sure. me. I think. Yeah. I don't remember who it was, but one of us asked him like black and white a question like, "Yeah, how do you believe you're saved?" He said something questionable. I was like, "Oh no, God. yeah, yeah." I think so. He fir- he first talked about how it's you know he thought his friend was in, and uh, friend was in heaven and then i was like so then i was like hey like how do you believe you're saved like you know and he you know and people like to dance they like some people just there's some people that want to be argumentative and there's some people that don't want to disagree and just want to get on with their day and you have to understand in both situations this guy right now he's like he's like trying to get away you know he he doesn't want to you know deal with that those tough questions right now like i'm i'm good where i'm at that type of deal and that's where you like hey whoa what do you like like how do you believe you're saved like like Which, i'm seeing a issues lot of here. it for me and I, I speak for myself i don't know but a lot of americans people we we have our like 33 percent understanding of god like we we pick and choose what we want oh, like i okay i'm i i have my view of god that i like i don't want to be challenged i um how do i say this people believe what they want to believe about god so it is our duty as Christians to challenge that because people like to live comfortably. Oh, I, I believe I go to church on Sunday, but I, I still do drugs. I still drink. I have sex outside of marriage, right? Which we know there's grace for that, right? But people like to believe what they want to believe about God. Their own, they believe in the God of their own devising, right? Yeah. So that's what is our, our, it is our duty, which 
this guy was a perfect example to challenge that thought and to challenge what they think about God with what the Bible says about God. Yeah. Yeah, no, I agree. Um, yeah, that was a lot of fun. But um, so, yeah, you're going to you're going to experience different ways of discipleship and uh, in all different settings. Uh, so, yeah, we we're kind of talking more on the evangelistic side just now, of course, because, yeah. you know, we're barely meeting this man. We're barely, you know, you might have a different approach if you're going to meet with this man three times for the next six weeks. Like you can get to know him, get to know what he's going through, those type of things. So just use the wisdom that God gave you and like common, you know, you know, just common knowledge. Like, Hey, I'm going to see this guy, you know, tomorrow or those type of things. I'm going to see him more often so we can, we can keep on going through these issues and we can really get, get to the root when really for us evangelizing to that guy, we are thinking we might see this man one time, one time. And if he doesn't hear the truth, then we didn't do our duty. Mm-hmm. And that's how you have to have that. There's there's just there's times for both, and there's times to be stern and have boldness about the gospel, like the disciples did in Acts. Which I have a handful of people who, I mean, not as much anymore in the summer, but when I'm in College Station, we get coffee. We decide, Me and a group of friends like Caleb and Ivan, we disciple these people that started out as evangelisms, right? So this man, this one instance we were in San Antonio, never going to see this man again, but there's instances where in College Station in a college town where you're evangelizing to disciple. That's what it is majority of the time. You don't evangelize to, hey, I'm going to tell you about the gospel, then I I never want to see you again. No, you. That's what the Mormons do. We need to take a trick from the Mormons. The Mormons want to get to that second meeting. It's the same thing it is with us. That we want to evangelize to then get coffee, then to study the Bible a little more, study the Bible a little more, grow friendship, not to convert him, to grow a friendship. That's what Ivan says, because God's going to do the work. God's going to work on his heart. So it's our job just to love on him, grow that friendship, cultivate that friendship in love. And then we're going to speak about Jesus because we're Christian. Yeah. And then all of a sudden you're discipling a guy just by being love, loving and faithful. So true, and there's not, there's nothing more fun than just being who you are in Christ, and lives get changed from that. Yeah, I don't know. We got like three minutes left on this deal, but if you got nothing left, like I'm wrap good. This one up. I'm good. All right, you you got to wrap us up this one. Yeah. So God bless. Uh, don't forget to uh, share, uh, subscribe, whatever. Follow us on. Uh, whatever you're listening on. Follow us on IG, Facebook. Not playing. Yeah, no. I'm not playing, but. No, not playing at all. But yeah, so, and, you know, our whole message today was about discipling others. So remember to share Jesus with other people today. And remember, uh, and that's also what you're doing. If you're sharing this video, you're sharing uh, Jesus. You're sharing an opportunity for someone to see what God is doing and how to you know, tell other people. So that's what we're doing. We're trying to multiply the kingdom. So thank you so much for watching and God bless.